I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter number 12. And I am honored to be here today. And, you know, I could get up and I could say a lot of fancies and funnies and all that. But today I didn't come to talk about me. I didn't come to give you anything about me. I've come to talk to you about the only one that matters at the end of the day, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So today, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do my very best to exalt and magnify the name that is above every name. And today, if you're here and you've never been saved, you do not know this man that we're singing about, we're lifting our hands to, today could be the good, glad day that your name is recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. I want you to take your Bibles already, turn to the book of John chapter 12, and I want to read to you verse number 32. One verse, one scripture. I asked uh, the pastoral staff the other day, I said, now how long do y'all normally preach on Sunday? They say, you know, sometimes we'll go 45 minutes to an hour. I said, well, these people are going to love me. Son, y'all going to be hitting over there at Whataburger before the Methodists have even had time to take wafers. So uh, we'll be there in just a second. I'm a little bit like a shotgun. I just kind of load it up and blow it out, and you do with it what you want to do. But John chapter 12 this morning in verse number 32. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And I... If I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. Heavenly Father, it is this morning in the blood-stained name of my redeeming Savior that I bow in your presence. Lord, I stand where the arm of my flesh will fail me, for it has failed me many times. Lord, these people today have not come to hear from a man, but they have come because they have heard that there is a God in heaven and that there is a place where he is lifted up. So, Lord, this morning I do not stand for the approval of man. I do not stand for the applause of man. My God, with every fiber of my being, I want to glorify the God-man. Heavenly Father, I pray today that you will unify my heart to your spirit. I pray today, Father, that the anointing of the Spirit of God would flow from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. God in heaven, I pray that you will awaken my mind, that you will illuminate my heart. God, I pray that you will open my mouth and let me exalt Jesus Christ. Father, I pray today for the people of God. Lord, I pray their hearts would be so encouraged. I pray today, God, that they would walk out of this building with so much faith in their hearts. God, I pray today for the one that has come into this building because they were invited and they are not sure about this thing called church. Lord, they do not understand this thing, this man named Jesus. I pray the Spirit of the living God would shine the spotlight of eternal power on their minds today. And I pray, God, you would open them up. Heavenly Father, I pray for men and women. I pray, God, for young and old in this building. I pray that their eyes would be lifted up into the hills whence cometh their help. And Lord, I pray today that we will all walk out of this place knowing that we have been in the presence of God Almighty. Thank you for these songs. Thank you, my God, for these people. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that lay before me. Lord, I lift it up unto you. It is my offer, my sacrifice, God, that I give to you. So you do with it what you desire. And it is in Jesus' name that I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. John chapter number 12, as you enter into John, you're entering into a man that when he writes, 
he is writing roughly about 50 years after the events that he's writing about. When John opens up John chapter number 1, verse number 1, and he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is now a 90-year-old man. He is upon the rock iron copper mines of Patmos, and he's been sent there by Diocletian, the Roman emperor. And as he writes down the words to John, he gets to John chapter number 12. And his mind goes back to the year 33 A.D. whenever he looks up over the Mount of Olives and the loving Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, is coming over the hill called the Mount of Olives and down from the city called Bethany. As he makes his way down, he has found a colt that has been tied and Jesus has gotten on the back of that donkey and is riding down to the shouts and the waving of palm branches of people saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. As Jesus gets down the Mount of Olives, he goes down into the Kidron Valley. And when he gets down in the Kidron Valley, there are people everywhere swarming him left and right. In just a few minutes, he's going to go up through the eastern gate, and he's going to go into the temple mount, and he's going to toss over the money changers' tables. But before that he does that, with all of those people gathered around him, he looks at every one of them, and he makes this declaration. He says, if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Now, brothers and sisters, that statement is an interesting statement. Number one, it is a prophecy. When Jesus makes that statement, he is making a declaration for what is about to happen. In just a few days, there is an event that's going to happen that is going to forever alter the course of this world. In just a few short days, the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. In fact, Four days after he makes this declaration, Jesus Christ is going to be inside of the Garden of Gethsemane and he's going to be bowed down saying, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. In four short days, the high priest guards are going to march into that garden and they're going to rip Jesus out of the Garden of Gethsemane. In four short days, Jesus Christ is going to be marched to the high priest's house and there in front of the high priest and all of the Sanhedrin that would gather that day, he's going to be looked at and say, are you really the one that was prophesied about? In four short days, Jesus is not going to say a word and he's going to be spat upon. In four short days, they're going to take the Lamb of God's body, lower it down in the pit there in the house of Caiaphas, and Jesus is going to be in utter absolute darkness. In four short days, Jesus Christ is going to be lifted up out of that pit and marched to the northern end of the Temple Mount, standing before Pilate, the Roman prefect. In four short days, Jesus Christ is going to look in the eyeballs of Pilate, the, high, uh, the, 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 the prefect of the Roman government there in the Antonia Fortress, and he's going to look at him and he's going to say, don't you hear everything that these people are saying about you? And Jesus is going to look at him and not utter one single word. In four short days, they're going to take Jesus' body, strip all of his clothes off of him, plait his head with a crown of thorns, lay a purple robe across his back, and begin striping him with the cat of nine tails. In four short days, they're going to take Jesus, they're going to rip that purple garment off of him, and they're going to lay him with the 33-pound patabellum crossbar. 
In four short days, he's going to begin the journey down the Via Dolorosa from the, high, from the, the house of the Antonian Fortress and make his way up Golgotha Scully Crag. In four short days, they're going to take the body that has been beaten, has been bruised, has been crushed, and has been obliterated, and they're going to lay him down on the ground. And in four short days, the loving Lamb of God is going to be raised up on that cross. In four short days, he's going to utter seven phrases from that cross, the very last one being, Father, into my, thine hands I commend my spirit, and he's going to bow his head and give up the ghost. And there's going to be people everywhere that say, wait a second, I thought the prophecy said if he was lifted up from the earth that he would draw all men unto him. There's nobody with him. In fact, there's only three people there. There's only Mary, his mother Mary, and John, the beloved disciple. And then the Pharisees say, I told you that he was a liar. What they did not realize was that was only chapter number one. Three days after that was when it was really going to get real. In three days after that, four days, all of a sudden, at the breaking of the day, the earth is going to begin to rattle and the tombs are going to begin to shake and that sealed stone is going to begin to roll away from the mouth of that grave. Inside of the grave is the body of omnipotence. Inside of that grave is the body of the Lamb of God that has been bruised, has been beaten, and is laying in that grave for three days. But three days have gone by. Three days and three nights have walked away, and now there is a new day dawning. And at the breaking of the day, all of a sudden the heavens open up, and the angels come out of heaven, and two angels go inside of that tomb, and behind them is the third person of the Trinity. And the Bible says in Romans chapter number 8 that if the Spirit of Him that brought forth Jesus from the grave dwell in your mortal hearts, He which brought forth Jesus from the grave shall quicken your mortal bodies. You say, what does that mean? In Wilson County Redneck English, here's what happened. The Holy Ghost, He walked inside of that tomb. He got inside of the nostrils of the Lord Jesus and He breathed life into the second Adam. The first time the first Adam had life breathed into Him, He died in his sin. But this next time, the second Adam is going to have Holy Ghost life put inside of him and he would never die again. Honey, all of a sudden, hands that had been bruised and had been beaten are going to begin moving again. And feet that had been laid in grave clothes are going to start moving again. And he which had been dead is going to get up out of that grave and he's going to walk out of that grave and the prophecy is going to be fulfilled that when he is lifted up from the earth that he would draw all men unto him. You say, who was drawn? I'll tell you who was drawn. There was a man named Peter that three days before this was ashamed of the very name of the Lord Jesus, but because he got raised up from the earth, he's going to come fleeing back. There was a man named Thomas, doubted the very fact that he had been dead, doubted the very fact that he was in the grave, doubted the very fact that he was alive, but Jesus is going to walk into that upper room and there Thomas is going to say, is it really you? He's going to say, thrust your hands into my side and Jesus Christ is going to look at Thomas and he's going to say Thomas blessed are you because you have seen and do believe but there's coming a crowd one day they're going to believe even though they have not seen and ladies and gentlemen right now the only thing that draws you to the son of God is the fact that people sing about a resurrected savior and we preach about a resurrected savior and we declare a resurrected savior and there's something about a Savior that has been lifted up from the earth that draws men to him. It's a prophecy. Number two, 
not just a prophecy, it's a promise. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men. Beloved, I'm going to tell you something. You can build hospitals and people may come. You can build orphanages and people may come. You can have concerts and people may come. But if you'll have a song that lifts up the name of Jesus Christ, if you'll have a message that lifts up the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus said, I give you my rock rib promise, I will draw all men unto you. Brothers and sisters, what makes a college student want to follow Jesus Christ? Jesus fulfills his promise that when he's lifted up, he'll draw all men. What makes a child want to give their heart to Jesus Christ? It's when somebody teaches them about Christ and Jesus fulfills the promise that I will draw all men. You say, what are you so excited about in 2023? The promise still stands that if we lift up Jesus Christ in the midst of insanity and in the midst of utter abominations left and right, that God in heaven will step up off of his throne and dispatch Holy Ghost power and he will make good on his promise. But number three, it's a potential. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, Jesus is so powerful that he spoke and worlds came into existence. But he's so humble, he'll speak to you and give you the choice. He's so powerful that angels fly around the throne for 6,000 years uninterrupted crying, holy, holy, holy. But he's so humble, he lets you live your life. You know why? Because every day he wakes up and says, the choice is yours. Brothers and sisters, we are living in a day right now where churches have chosen to go another way. Where Christians have chosen to go another way. We live in Laodicea is what we live in. How do we know that? Because in the Laodicean church, churches have everything that they could possibly want, but yet they're blind. They've got all the money they could ever have, but they can't buy the testimony of Jesus Christ. And Jesus has been excommunicated from the very church that he birthed with his own blood. But this is what he says. He says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man will open the door. What does that mean? If any man will exalt Jesus Christ, he said, I will come in and I will sup with him and I will. Brothers and sisters, you have a choice and I have a choice. Will we live our lives exalting the name of Jesus Christ or will we do our own thing? I stand before you right now in the midst of national chaos. The nation that we live in today does not even resemble the nation that I grew up in. I'm 37. I'll be 38 years old in the morning. And at 38 years old, I do not even recognize the nation that I started in and grew up in. Who would have ever thought that we had a nation where you had to stand for truth at the expense of being excommunicated? We stand in a day where people have no idea what is up anymore and what is down anymore. They have no idea what is in anymore. I, they have no idea what is out anymore. Churches have lost their minds. The nation has lost their minds. Politicians that you sin end up being bought out. And if you are a politician or you love a politician, 
condition. I say praise God, but they need a backbone like a saw log if they're going to stand in this untoward generation. We live in the midst of chaos. We live in the midst of absolute insanity. But Jesus says, in the midst of a nation, if you will lift up the mighty bloodstained name of Jesus Christ, you can and see and will see all men drawn unto you. We live in the midst of insane religious times. Who would have ever thought you would have to go find a church that preaches Jesus? Who, who, who would even have ever thought that you would have to go look for a body of believers that still believed in the Bible? Y'all may as well park it on in here with me because I'm going to keep hitting the rock until I get on with it. Who would have ever thought that you would live in a day where you had to make churches side against abominations? But Jesus looks at that generation and says, if I be lifted up, I will draw. There was a debate that went on back in the third century about between two men, Arius and Athanasius. Athanasius believed in true gospel preaching, believed in the, the purity of the word of God, and Arius did not. Arius had the government on his side, the Roman, the Roman government on his side. And so Athanasius was thrown into prison time after time, exiled five times for his belief in the Bible. One time Athanasius was, was given the opportunity for him and Arius to stand before Theodosius, the Roman emperor. And there they stood. Theodosius looked at Athanasius and said, Athanasius, don't you know that you're the only one that stands there? The entire world is against you. Athanasius looked at the Roman governor, looked at the Roman emperor, and he said, if the entire world is against me, then I am against the entire world. Brothers and sisters, the world is not going to like the Jesus that we preach. The world is not going to like the way that we raise our families. The world is not going to enjoy the fact that we believe right is right, wrong is wrong, up is up, down is down, in is in, and out is out. People are not going to like the fact that you're going to stand on the rock rib promises of this book right here and believe that this is thus saith the Lord God. Son, they're going to be like trying to nail jello to a wall. They're going to be spineless. They're going to go left and they're going to go right. When the wind blows left, they'll go left. When the wind blows right, they'll go right. But beloved, I remind you right now, if the whole world be against us, then we will be against the whole world because we are not citizens of this land. Our citizenship is in another country. Our father is in another land and we operate and we answer to a different set of rules and ethics. And he says, in the midst of national chaos and political chaos, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Now, if you're a liberal, I'll sniff you out like a hound dog in this place. I can smell a liberal three counties away. But we live in the midst of insane personal turbulence. Who would have ever thought that a mother would have to raise her kids because a sorry man walked out on her to live in this world? Who would have ever thought that there would be a single father that would have to bring his children after work in six days the, day before, the week before because somebody walked out on him? Who would have ever thought that children would have to be picked up because parents wouldn't bring them to church? 
Who would have ever thought that grandparents would have to raise their grandchildren because the kids were too insane to take responsibility? Brothers and sisters, can I be honest with you? Churches have lost their minds. The world is careening to hell and we're barely even throwing snowballs at them. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is looking for somebody that looks at a broken mama and says Jesus is still the answer for your life. He's looking for people to stand up to a single father and say, I know you don't really know what you're doing, but Jesus is the answer for your life. He's looking at the children who don't know their mama and don't know their daddy to, for somebody in the church to stand up and say, I just want you to know that there is a God in heaven that knows your name and he's not through with you and he's got a plan for your life. Jesus is looking for somebody in the midst of insanity where lawyers and, and lawmakers are trying to institute all types of things. You can't institute righteousness. You can't make enough laws to make people righteous. You've got to get a hold of something down deep on the inside of them and that only comes when we lift up the name of Jesus Christ in people's lives. Brothers and sisters, I want to give you something. I'll give you three things. And when I say I'm going to load them up and blow them out, I'm going to be sitting at Waffle House before you even know what you've done. Number one, the first thing about that phrase you need to write down. He says, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Number one, he says to the people, the church, and the ministries that are going to do that, there must be focus. He says, if I, if I be lifted up, he said, if you are going to do what I've called you to do, your focus is very small. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's not about Jesus and. It's not about Jesus plus. It's not about Jesus minus. It's about Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not about Jesus and this person. It's not about Jesus and this movement. It's not about Jesus and my ideas. It's not about Jesus and their philosophies. It's not about Jesus and their isms. It's not about Jesus and their schisms. It's about Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is the center of the entire creation. This morning, the sun rose up in the eastern sky and it kissed the darkness and it said it's all about Jesus Christ. And the darkness fled away and the clouds were in the sky whispering to the blue on the background saying it's all about Jesus and the mockingbirds flew in the air and they whispered to the blue jays it's all about Jesus Christ and the blue jays landed in the branches of the oak tree and whispered to the leaves it's all about Jesus Christ and the leaves looked at the branches that went down into the root system and the root system went down into the earth and whispered to the water underneath the world it's all about Jesus Christ and the water looked at the grass and said grow in that fall breeze and the grass said it's all about Jesus Christ and then the grass looked at the cow that would chew the cud and said it's all about Jesus Christ and the cow spoke to the fly flying around its ears it's all about Jesus Christ the fly went landed on the dog and told the dog it was all about Jesus Christ the dog went in the house and looked at the cat and said it's all 
all about Jesus Christ. And the cat, cat ain't never done anything good. They'll probably all be in hell anyways. But he said, it's all about Jesus Christ. I remind you right now, the birds flying in the air, no, it's about Jesus. And the crane in the air, no, it's about Jesus. And the fish in the pond, no, it's about Jesus. And the whale in the ocean, no, it's about Jesus. He's the center of creation. He's the very center of the Bible. Every author in the Bible knew it was about one person. It was about Jesus Christ. Adam walked out of that garden covered in the lamb skin, and he said, it's about Jesus Christ. Noah got inside of that ark, got shut up behind that door, and said, it's all about Jesus Christ. Moses stood up on top of that mountain with two tablets in his hand and said, it's all about Jesus Christ. David got down in the valley with five smooth stones and a sling in his hand and looked at Goliath and said, it's all about Jesus Christ. Solomon went down into the well of wisdom and began to search out and everything he pulled out, it said it's all about Jesus Christ. Elijah stood up on top of Mount Carmel, prayed 63 words and fire fell out of heaven and he said it's all about Jesus Christ. Elisha walked into the grave of that little woman and he looked at that little girl that had been dead and said it's all about Jesus Christ. Malachi saw the son of righteousness about to arise with healing in his wings and said it's all about Jesus Christ. Matthew wrote his gospel and said it's all about him. John wrote his gospel and said it's all about him. Paul wrote the gospels and said it was all about him. John on the rock Isle of Patmos wrote his gospels and said it's all about him. So here is my point. If every author and every character and every person and every jot and every tittle and everything and every line and every precept and every noun and every verb all point to the bloodstained name of our regal redeemer shouldn't every one of our songs look back at him shouldn't every one of our sermons look back at him shouldn't every one of our lessons look back at him shouldn't every word that come out of our mouth think about him talk about him why because every day we've got to make the focus of our lives Jesus Christ listen to me now you will not do that by default you got this old nasty flesh on the inside that wants to make it about me, wants to make it about you, wants to make it about your mama, wants to make it about your mama's people, wants to make it about your cousins, wants to make it about the so-and-so and the such-and-such. You've got to make yourself be focused. Today, I want to make it about Jesus Christ. You, you're here today and you've never been saved. Can I tell you something? You ain't going to get saved just by coming to church. Pigs don't become cows just because they go in the milk barn. People don't become Christians just by walking in the church. You've got to make the decision today to lift your eyes to Jesus and say, I choose Christ. He's got to be your focus. Number two, he says, once you make Jesus the focus, if I be lifted up, number two, he said, there'll be a force. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw. Will Draw. Now, in the Greek, that's an interesting word. There's two words for drawing. The first word is the kind of drawing that your mama did when she told you to go get a bath and you wouldn't listen. And she would grab you by the ear or the leg or the arm. I can smell liberals. Y'all are getting nervous right now talking about corporal punishment. And she would drag your carcass. Some of y'all don't even know what redneck growing up is. 
this timeout generation, you wouldn't have survived in my house. My mama would have beat the devil out of you, took your teeth out of your head, chomped and bit you with them, and sewed them back in your mouth. Listen to me. That's a kind of drawing, but that's not the kind of drawing that Jesus says will happen when Jesus is lifted up. There's a second kind of drawing, and it's the word used here. It means an inner pulling. It means for somebody to like what they see and be drawn that way. It's the kind of drawing whenever, whenever somebody doesn't want to go into the dentist's office, but the dentist promises them that after it's all over, they can go into the toy box. And so they walk at their own choice because they are allured by a prize. Jesus said, when I am lifted up, there is something that happens on the inside of a man that makes him want to go after the very Savior he despised. The very God he ran from is the very God he goes looking for. I heard a story about Jack Nicholas, President Ford, and Billy Graham playing golf one day together. There was a pro that was out on the course to make it a foursome, and they said after the thing was over, a reporter went up to the pro and said to the pro, what was it like playing golf with President Ford and Billy Graham? The man was furious and mad as a bull. He said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, I did not appreciate Billy Graham stuck, stuffing religion down my throat the entire time. He went out there on a driving range, and I mean, he was just cracking balls out of that thing, just mad as a bull. And the reporter went up, and he looked at him. He said, what did Billy Graham say so much that made you mad that he was stuffing religion down your throat? The man threw his pitching wedge in the ground. He said, he didn't say a word, but he kept stuffing religion down my throat. The man looked at him and said, how did he not say a word but yet kept stuffing religion down your throat? He said, I don't know. He said, but every time I went around him, something inside of me just crunched. You know what we call that? Old-fashioned, Holy Ghost, snot-slinging, Church of God, Baptocostal conviction. That's the kind of conviction that makes a drunk walk in off the street. That's the kind of conviction that when a man sees his child get saved at Bible school, makes him come that next Sunday and say, what in the world have you done to my kid? And before the service is over, they're kneeling down on an altar asking Jesus to save them. That's the kind of conviction that whenever somebody tries to shoot it up their veins, they can't get high because the Holy Ghost is drawing them in. Honey, I'm going to tell you right now, I do not understand it all. I don't understand how it works. I'm not smart enough to understand the isms and the schisms, but this is what I know, that when you lift up the mighty blood-stained name of Jesus Christ, it does something to all men. It grabs a hold of the hard heart. It rips and pulls at the cold heart. It draws in the dead heart, and he which was dead, and he which was gone, is drawn whenever Jesus is exalted, it's a force. How many of you remember when you got under Holy Ghost conviction? I'm going to tell you something. You can't be saved unless the Holy Ghost deals with your heart. 
I don't understand how that works. I'm not smart enough to figure all that stuff out. I just know that when the Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, gets to dealing with you, you can't sleep, you can't eat, you couldn't swallow a French fry on a bet, it'll mess you up so bad. But that's what happens when Jesus is lifted up. How many of you had a Sunday school teacher that you first met her and she looked as mean as the devil himself? I did. Son, she was in the second grade. Miss Edna was the meanest looking woman I ever seen in my life. I'm going to tell you something right now. She scared me every time I thought about going to church. Every time we said we were going to go to church, I wanted to go to a liberal church so I didn't have to go to that Sunday school class anymore. I hated it. Man, I hated it. Every time we'd go in there, she would talk about these Bible stories about this man named Jesus. And I've always had a bad case of ADD. I've had it since I was born. I came out uh, thinking about distractions. <laughs> and I would be looking at the, I'd be looking at the coloring on the wall. I'd be looking at cinder blocks out of square. I'd be looking at all types of things. But every time I left her class, there was something she said that kept me awake at night. It just stirred. It just kept stirring. Second, second grade. From the time I was in second grade till I was 16 years old, when I got saved, there was something about what that Sunday school teacher said that kept stirring. Teacher, did you know Preacher, did you know, singer, did you know that you are a part of a greater power than you ever even comprehended? That every time you stand up and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, you are a part of a transaction that takes place in somebody's heart that they cannot get away from, and we call it the drawing power of the Holy Ghost. You're here in this building right now, and you are begging me to get done so you can go home. There's something about what I'm saying right now that's churning your motor. And all you can think about right now is, what if he's right? What if what they're talking about is right? What if those people getting baptized, there's something to it? What if this God thing is real? What if this church thing is more than just a Sunday act? That's called drawing you say, what am I supposed to do? About the sooner you give into it and say yes to Jesus, the sooner it'll go away and you'll have life like you've never known before. So once you make it your focus, there'll be a force. But then number three, there'll be a fullness. He says, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw, watch this, all men. In the words of the preacher, He'll draw everybody. <laughs> Y'all don't know. Y'all don't go to Nashville enough to understand what that means. But I'm from Greensboro. And so I, I got a little bit in me here. Everybody means everybody. 
I don't know where in the world we got this idea that Jesus only deals with a few select people. You're out of your ever-loving mind. If Jesus was only going to deal with a few select people, he wouldn't have messed with somebody like me, and he wouldn't have messed with somebody like you. You know why? Because I was vile. I was wretched. I was on my way to hell. I should have been in hell frying like a piece of bacon with my back broke. But the long arm of love reached further down than I could reach up, and I realized I was one of them all men. And I wonder, is there anybody else in the house that is thankful that somebody lifted up Jesus and you are an old man. I want to talk to somebody right now and the devil's told you your kids are too far gone, your grandchildren are too far gone, your cousins are too far gone, your husband's too far gone, your wife is too far gone. As long as they're breathing air on this earth, they're not too far gone because there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. I don't care how high they are. I don't care how drunk they get. I don't care what kind of lifestyle they're in. I don't care if they think they're a man when they're a woman or a woman when they think they're a man. There is a God in heaven that if you lift up the Lord Jesus Christ, it'll straighten out the crooked place. It'll pull water on the dry place. And I'm here to tell you that the devil needs to know and be served notice that there's a group of people that believe there is still a God in heaven. And when his name is lifted up, he'll draw all men. Brothers and sisters, this is not a Baptist doctrine. This is not a Methodist doctrine. This is not Episcopalian doctrine. This is not a white doctrine. This is not a black doctrine. This is not a male doctrine. This is not a female doctrine. We've lost our minds. I remind you right now that Jesus Christ, when he ascended up on top of Mount Calvary, was put inside of the grave and came out victorious three days later. He said every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every genre, every color, every race, every nation, every country, every rich man, every poor man, every out man, every in man, every man man, every woman man, every man that thinks he's a woman and a man no, woman thinks he's a man. He says anybody that falls at the foot of the old rugged cross can be born again by the power of the Spirit of God. He says I'll draw all men. But that's not just for people out there. That's for people in this building right here. Can I help you with something? Being baptized in what it takes. Going to Sunday school, giving money in the offering plate, listening to the preacher, liking what you hear in the singing. That ain't what it takes. It takes faith in Jesus Christ. Anthony Campolo told a story one time. And the story he told was about a camp that he was working at where kids would go for the summer at a Christian summer camp. There was a boy there at the Christian summer camp one time that dealt with this disease called spastic paralysis. And he would have times where his legs would just go limp, his arms would just go limp, and it, it lent him in that summer camp to be made fun of by kids. They said the children would mock him so badly that he would cry himself to sleep. Nobody wanted to be around him. Nobody wanted to talk to him. Nobody wanted to deal with him. One night, they asked this young boy if he would do the evening devotion. The little boy, nervous as he could be, fearful that his legs would give out, his arms would give out, he simply stood up and said this, I love Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ loves me.
He repeated it, I love Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ loves me. Campalo said that he kept repeating it over and over. And every time he repeated it, he said it was like a wave of God that came into the house. He said the children that had been mean to that little boy would get on their chair and start praying. The little girls that made fun of that little boy got on their face and started praying. They said the more he said, I love Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ loves me. They said kids would come to the little altar in that little makeshift camp and would get saved. All because one paralyzed boy with no power in his hands and no power in his legs said, I love Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ loves me. Brothers and sisters, I declare to you in this room right now, I have no ability. I have no power. I have no unction in myself. But I love Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ loves me. And I tell you today, you may not know Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ knows you. You may not want Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ wants you. You may not yearn for Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ yearns for you. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that Let's bow our heads all over the congregation. Our musicians will come. This morning, my plea is simple. Do you know him? Have you ever given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you ever said yes to him?